For tuning in, everybody, we're going to be talking about mycology today. Make sure and stay tuned to the end of the episode. I'm going to be talking about myco meditations and psilocybin mushrooms and and uh, some of the differences in perception of those experiences between the mystical and the scientific side of things and some of my takes on all of that and what's going on in the psychedelic community so stay tuned for that if you want afterwards uh, no big deal just some a little added bonus content been sharing with you guys at the end of each episode and and uh and blabbing a bit about what's been uh, uh, working around in my noodle lately it's been real fun and this week we get to do uh two here we are podcast as i said i'm doing five episodes a month now. We're going to do a bonus episode each month because I've been getting on top of things. I've been learning so much and I've been having more and more opportunities to record more podcasts so much so that I have so many Here We Are podcasts stored up in the bank that I cannot wait for you guys to hear in much of this, much of how I'm doing so well right now and learning so much and having access and the resources to keep doing this and do it more is thanks to my new partner, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are. Guys, I have been singing the praises of online teaching resources throughout the history of the Here We Are podcast, and The Great Courses Plus is the best out there. They are getting the best teachers and teaching some of the best subjects, such a great variety of stuff. I'm going to be taking some yoga classes uh, now coming up. I'm, I'm traveling more and more and not getting as much of a chance to necessarily find time to go into a studio on a given day. And uh, and there's a yoga class. I'm going to deepen my practice a little bit. But I haven't started that yet because I have started an awesome course Check this out, guys. The Secrets of Human Perception. It's uh, all about uh, neuroimaging and and how um, how our brain puts together this perception. A lot of guesswork, a crazy amount of guesswork. Everything that you see and and perceive is is just a a, a bunch of neural firings, kind of kind of guessing at at an estimation of of what is is maybe going on in the outside and how all of that works is absolutely mind-blowing. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are today. You'll get your first month for free. And if you go to the uh, greatcoursesplus.com slash here we are, I'll get credit. They'll know my listeners are being directed to them, which I would love because I want to keep this partnership for a long time and they want to see that that's showing some benefit and, and that uh, that you guys are a potential source of customers for them and I really couldn't recommend them enough. Um, uh, self-education is what I am all about. I found school to be a deeply traumatizing experience and I hated it and it was a child prison to me and everything that I've learned in life has been self uh, has been me educating myself a lot 
through online courses. I think they're absolutely wonderful. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are. I'm able to listen to my course, The Secrets of Human Perception, while I'm driving. It's That's when I probably listen to it the most. I, I watch it on my computer at home as well, but you can turn it on to the audio and, and listen to it while, while you're driving around and Man, I am. I just feel like I'm operating on another level right now because I just have so much amazing information coming in all the time. It's giving me so much more to talk about during these podcasts. I think if more people were taking these kinds of courses, the world would be a more interesting place. I think a lot of people are traumatized from school the same way I was. I think a lot of people are overworked and they're tired and and sometimes they want to just sip back and watch the most garbage television on TV and I feel that way sometimes too but I'll tell you guys when I do I I sometimes force myself to uh, sometimes you know I'm not even in the mood to take a class I love taking these classes usually I can't wait to take them but you know sometimes I'd rather be listening to music or something when I'm driving and if it's a coin flip if I pick listening to a class instead I find that I always always take away you know a lot more energy than than what i put into it i I kind of create these new worlds of understanding in my mind and it's so exciting it makes my conversations more interesting and i wish that this was the kind of stuff i i wish you got down done at the end of the day and you you sat down with your spouse or whatever and you checked out thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are instead of turning on whatever mindless reality tv show i wish you learned about how the mind worked because understanding how the mind works helps us understand ourselves helps us understand the world around us helps us understand others and how to relate to them better how to relate to ourselves better it's been a huge part of my inner journey and self-exploration lately is just becoming more and more mindful of my inner world and and what perceptions of mine are aiding me um, toward my uh, uh, toward getting my life where I want it to be and what are interfering with me. And, and sometimes our emotions service us and sometimes we're servicing them, I feel. And, and the more mindful you are, the more educated you are in what's going on under the hood, uh, the better life you are going to live. So check it out. The Secrets of Human Perception. I just started course number three i've been burning through these classes i'm taking so many different classes and and i'm so excited i just started this one i can't wait to tell you guys more about it in upcoming episodes so check it out uh learn new stuff because this is a you know the this this podcast is a lot of sporadic kind of content and a lot of these courses will give you a nice structured layout of the information and you'll see more of the whole picture rather than getting the uh the fun little exciting bits that we talk about on the podcast and it will lend itself uh to appreciating uh this podcast more and taking more away from it and without the silly irritating homework that school has that just makes you 
um, mad and gives you a bunch of unnecessary work to do. You can learn at your pace. You can skip around to different lectures. You can skip lectures. You can try out a couple. You can try out two or three lectures of a class and take a different class instead. I right now have three different classes going and I check out whatever I'm in the mood for, whatever suits me for, say, various podcasts that I have coming up, that sort of thing. Such a great resource. I hope you'll check it out and thank you for checking out today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am once again back at my home turf, my old stomping grounds, not in the sense that I went here. I was not accepted to the oh. University of Wisconsin, the cross, and that it's not the hardest school in the world to get into as well. Actually, that, it's pretty hard. Uh, is surprisingly, it? Surprisingly. Oh, well, I in feel... In Wisconsin, just behind UW-Madison. Okay. Well, that that makes me feel a little bit better about myself then. All right. I always figured it was an easy school to get into, and I was just that poor of a student. Um, but I was a poor student and am now trying to make up for all of that by educating myself in my adult life. Today, to help me with that, is Professor of Biology here at UWL. Tom Volk is joining me today. Thank you, Tom, for Glad being to be on here. the show. This is so exciting. I know my listeners are going to be real pumped about this subject. We talk a lot about animal behavior and uh, exactly and uh, psychology and neuroscience and a lot of a lot of stuff going on with the the human mind and and we we don't uh, fungi have, affect all those things that you just said yeah exactly and and today we get to hear about we we don't uh, we probably don't have as many episodes about um, about nature as we should on the show and uh, my listeners I I know are going to be very very interested to hear all about mycology we have never had to my knowledge uh, a mycologist on the show and so uh, yeah i was hoping you could give us a little a little 101 about mushrooms yeah sounds good so there there are a lot of fungi there are about a hundred thousand named species and that's probably five percent of the total that's out there and so you can Wait, discover so there's a hundred thousand named species and, and then there's so many others that they've just given up on naming them? no no there people are actively naming them they're they the That's, most estimates say there's around 1.5 million species of fungi so there's just every single day of life on this planet there's someone sitting around just trying to think of a name for a fungi basically yes. sometimes <laughs> they auction off the names oh really <laughs> How does how does the fungi name uh, auction work? Can I get a mushroom named after me? You could if you have enough money. Really? Or enough friends. Oh man, <laughs> new life goal. What if I have enough podcast listeners? Um, I don't know if that does it for you. <laughs> but it might. Well, hmm. What is 
<laughs> is the well maybe i could get a mushroom named after the here we are podcast yeah. that'd be interesting hmm well now i want to look at <laughs> what is the what is the fungi naming process uh so you have to first study it a lot and figure out that it's new okay and so you have to look at lots of other kinds of rela- relatives and find out if this how this one is different okay you're my guy for that yeah. So, <laughs> so just right here in Hickson Forest, which is a little local city park, uh, we discovered three new species of chanterelles, which are bright orange mushrooms. Hmm. And they were all uh, within the vicinity of the size of this room. So all three species, new species, were in a spot right next to each other. Hmm. And so they had been mistaken for another species uh, that, uh, that we had recently split up into lots of species. And they're all quite different now that we look at them. Wow. So you look at their morphology and where they grow and geogra- geography. And then we do DNA sequencing on the, on the DNA and figure out how the DNA sequences are different. So you can't throw a rock without finding a new species of these That things. is almost true. <laughs> That's so when, in my, my class makes collections of fungi and we see something probably new every year. You know, in this area of where we've collected uh, for t- about 20 years, and we have, uh, there's about, in Hickson Forest, which is the local city park, we have, I think, 700 species, something like that. Wow. I didn't even, is this even that great of an area for fungi? This is actually really good. Oh, it is. Yeah, this is a, a big hotspot for biodiversity. Okay, what makes for a good area for, for I guess, biodiversity, but fungi in particular? Yeah, wild uh, a, a large variety of trees that can act as hosts, a uh, large number of insects that can act as hosts. And uh, this area has been geographically isolated uh, during the last ice age. And so there were a lot of things that are hanging out that, that survived the ice age uh, where areas nearby did not. Hmm. And so you know, this is one of the spots. Uh, Great Smoky Mountain National Park is really the biggest biodiversity area in the country. Hmm. Where's that? Uh, border of North Carolina and Tennessee. Ah, okay. I, what about? I always thought that the um, Pacific Northwest was where. Isn't that where like the largest? What is it? The largest organism the, on Earth or something? Humongous fungus. Yeah. It, yeah. What is that again? It's a type of honey mushroom. And it's, it's, uh, they grow underground and it's probably thirty-five hundred acres. That's like one organism. Yeah. That's thirty five hundred acres. That is incredible, huh? So you mostly don't see it because it's underground, but you can see where the has killed trees. It's a pathogen, huh. uh, and then you can do um, you can collect parts of it and then prove that they're the same using DNA studies. Fascinating. How is that? I mean. You'd think that's putting a whole lot of eggs in one basket. How you'd think one thing would get in there and and it, some disease would take it over or something yeah, like that, that and kill it. It that probably has happened a lot of times, but you know some of them have survived. Huh. Um. Hmm. So, what's what's the kind of climate? Uh, what what climate and conditions make for in terms of? Um, uh, weather-wise, uh, is that uh, I? Right. I figured Wisconsin would maybe be too cold to have this many mushrooms. No, they're, they're, they're most of the mushrooms survive the winter uh, underground or in the log or wherever they grow, 
And so there's a lot of uh, places where um, as long as you have water, you're going to get mushrooms. So what's the natural cycle of a, of a mushroom's life? So usually the, the, the fungus grows, most of the fungi grow throughout the summer and then they form their mushrooms in the fall. Uh, but there are variants on that. There's some that grow and store their food and then fruit right away in the spring, like the morels. Hmm. And then there are some that, you know, have varying degrees of time they have to grow before they fruit. So there's seasons for different species. Hmm. And how, how does the, uh, how does the fruiting work? What, what mechanisms are there? Is it just, uh, is it a time thing? Is it a, a certain climate that brings that about? So there, there are several things in, in the in the big picture. They need enough water and enough time to grow. But the immediate trigger is is uh, if they see the light. So most fungi recognize light when that tells them they're outside of the log or they're out where the outside of the soil is, and so they can form their mushrooms, you know, outside instead of underground. Um, there's also the difference in the carbon dioxide to oxygen ratio outside. And so they can sense that. And it, the override for that is if they run out of food, then they'll fruit no matter what. Because hmm. they need to get to a new spot. Hmm. Hmm. And so they're forming spores that are caught in the wind and then spread as far as they can. Hmm. And what what's the what is the usual um, mode of transportation? Just the wind? Most are of the spores are spread by the wind. And so they produce a huge number of spores so that by chance, just a few of them will land somewhere that they can use. Hmm. But there are some that are spread by insects, beetles, flies, what have you. Uh, they form a stinky mass on them and the, um, the, the flies pick up that and spread it around. Where does a spore want to land? What's like this oasis for a spore? It depends on what kind of spore you are. Ah. So if you're a, if you're a, uh, fungus that grows on wood, you want to land on the right kind of wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's one that grows in association with the roots of trees, you have to land right next to the roots of those trees. Hmm. Is it also the case that there's, doesn't like disruption of, of an area also lead to like kind of triggering s- stress in the fungi that, that triggers to. Yeah. So uh, damage to the mycelium to, uh, the part that grows underground uh, is a good signal for them that something's wrong, and so they might fruit just out of from that. Hmm. You see them a lot on the sides of cut roads, roads that are cut through the forest. Uh, that's the same kind of damage. Or you see them on in the northwest and logging places where the where the logs have been dragged down the hill, hmm. and so you see lots of different kinds of fungi in those kinds of spots hmm. where there's damage. Hmm. How old are fungi evolutionarily? Um, pretty old. There was a, there's a recent paper that says that I don't remember the number, but says it's way older than we expected. And so, um, like a billion years, or I don't remember the number. So, a billion. So, it's they diverged a long time ago. Huh. Um. Is that so? So what is the, what is reproduction like in fungi? Are they? Almost all of them produce spores. Okay. Of some sort. Okay. Hmm. And most of the spores are in the wind. There are some of the lower fungi, the primitive fungi have still have swimming spores. Hmm. 
please walk Sparky for me? No way. <laughs> I'll throw in a caramel frappe. Ooh, make it a large. Deal. Get a sweet deal. $2 any size McCafe beverage on the McDonald's app. Between you and me, Sparky, I would have walked you for free. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Offer valid through 4322 at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. McDonald's app download and registration required. So what is, uh, what is, I mean, there must be, with so many different species, there must be so varying um, different impacts on different local um, ecological systems and different environments. What are, (laughs) this is feeling like maybe too big or too broad of a question, but but what are what are the impact of uh, fungi on our on our lives and on our ecosystems? Yeah, so there are three kind of main areas that we can categorize them into in the nature. So there are fungi that eat dead things. Uh, so those are called saprobes or saprophytes, and they make their living by decaying wood or breaking down soil uh, or things like that. And then there are some that are parasitic, and they can grow, uh, you know, they, they harm the organism that they grow on, and it's a living organism. Okay, so there are some that grow on trees and kill trees, which are, you know, pretty obvious when you see them. Uh, there are fungi that grow on people and can kill people, fungi that grow in your brain, uh, things like that. So you can, you know, there are parasites of all, fungal parasites of almost every kind of organism that you can think of. And then a large number of them are mutualistic. And so that means they live in association with another kind of organism and both organisms benefit from the association. Hmm. And so you have uh, the main one are mycorrhizae and these uh, translates into fungus root. And so about 90% of plants in nature have fungi associated with their roots. Uh, And they scavenge for water and minerals in the soil and in return they get sugars from photosynthesis from the plant so both organisms benefit from that and it's a very long-lasting relationship and a very very old relationship Hmm. so mycorrhizae are the biggest one we also have lichens and lichens are mutualism between a fungus and either an alga or cyanobacteria or both uh, and they colonize dead uh, colonize rocks they photosynthesize so they make their own food from the alga, uh, and they, you know, they grow inside of trees and Galapagos tortoise shells and things like that. Hmm. Uh, and then the other one, which most people are unaware of, are called endophytes. And these are fungi that live inside plant organs, like in mostly in leaves, but sometimes stems and roots. And they grow in there. They get food from the uh, from the from the plant from photosynthesis. And in return, they produce secondary compounds uh, that are poisonous or taste bad for things that are going to eat the plant. Hmm. And so these, uh, the, the fungi produce these toxins and an insect takes a bite out of the leaf. They don't like it. They don't eat it anymore. Hmm. And so those are the main mutualisms. Hmm. What so about... So fungi are everywhere. Yeah, I guess. What about the... Because uh, I've heard of the... The parasite ones that I just have kind of a vague recollection of, 
something that gets in ants or something like that and like oh, the zombie ants yeah. yeah the zombie ants that what do they like crawl up a tree and go out under the sun and then it fruits from yeah. there or so something? It, it affects the the brain of the ant and makes it climb and then it makes it latch on to the leaves and then it forms the fruiting body out of that of the, usually out of the head of the ant it's kind of creepy <laughs> And there, are, there, there are lots of these fungi that do that they like what their behavior there's a bunch of uh some that grow on underground grubs of uh larvae of things and uh there's some that um grown flies so there's a lot of different different kinds of ones that affect the behavior what's it do to flies it makes them the fly it's kind of the same thing that it lands on the actually there's one on the window back behind you i'll show you later uh they uh grow into the brain of the fly and the fly lands and then it makes a it eventually eats the whole body of the fly and makes spores all around it and other flies come to investigate and then they um eat the spores and they die from it too and then that just continues wow and so there are you know things like that that are affecting things that we might not expect so 10 flies <laughs> come to check out the what the heck happened to this guy yeah. And then they get infected too, and then they all go out in different directions, right. and then it it just keeps on going. And the ants usually die in a position with their abdomen in the air, so it looks like they want to be mated with. <laughs> also, so besides the other things that are going on, it it's the, wow. the allure of 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 uh, fly sex that keeps things coming in. Oh, wow, <laughs> that is so interesting. I just learned also that ants do it in the missionary position. So yeah, That is good to know. Huh. Fascinating. What, what about, you mentioned human uh, 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 human parasites. Yeah. So, so I teach a course in medical mycology, mm-hmm. uh, and the most common fungal infection is yeast infections in women. So three of, three of every four women during their lifetime will probably get a yeast infection. Uh, and so that's an over, the fungus is always there, but when it overgrows the normal flora that's there, uh, they take off. (laughs) Wow. It can be very devastating, painful and all that. It forms a biofilm and you can't just scrape it off. Whew, boy, this shows, this is really showing my <laughs> ignorance because I guess I, I had never really even thought about, uh, never thought about yeast infections, yeast infections <laughs> that much. Men, <laughs> men can get yeast infections too, but it's just a superficial infection. Uh-huh. And the most famous person, the most famous male that died from a yeast infection was the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> I thought you were looking at me like it was some president of the United States that I was supposed to know this trivia answer no. or something. But the funeral was a solid was, joke. The funeral was held at 3.50 for 20 minutes. <laughs> well done, <laughs> sir. That, well, now the audience got a little peek into the, the kind of jokes being slung around the old mycology scene. Yeah, the old scene. fun. I'm a fun guy. And, yeah, you know. sure. <laughs> So, uh, but what about the human brain? You said they're they're infecting the human no, brain. There's a well. fungus called Cryptococcus that is causes meningitis, and so it's a relatively common uh, disease in people who are immune compromised from transplants or AIDS or something like that. Huh. Uh, and so it gets in there, and uh, you know, there's basically no immune system in there. So once it gets in, it's really difficult to to get it out. Huh. And so it's a it's a 
a pretty big cause of uh, fatalities. So I guess I don't understand. How is it spreading? It, uh, it's usually ingested and then it gets in the bloodstream and it can pass the blood brain barrier. Oh, huh. How's it passing the blood brain barrier? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> really? Huh. That's fascinating. So this is just in, in the normal course of eating food. This is some some of it is probably inhalation. Also, it's it's kind of unclear what's actually happening. Huh. It's mostly inhalation. Huh. So we're we're just sometimes unknowingly inhaling. You're inhaling uh, spores right now. Spore. Especially uh, in this room, if you look. Around oh you. <laughs> man! Now, now I'm terrified. I'm looking around. This is this is not the cleanest lab that I've ever seen in my life really? either. This is. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of specimens and uh, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, what have we got? I mean, what all am I looking at here? This is a. Fu- I mean, this there's is a, a pretty giant fun puff, looking. There's a giant puffball behind you. Hmm. Hmm. So what do you what do you got what do you got going on in a mycology lab? What do you what do you? uh... So what you see mostly are specimens of uh, that students have collected or that we use for teaching. Okay. So there's you know lots of things we might not find that year, and so we have samples that we keep around to look at them. Hmm. So. Do you have to be cautious around mushrooms? Is that I mean I I know I know that there's I I know that there's you know mushroom you got to be care you can't just go uh, when you're out for a hike throwing whatever mushroom you may find into your into your mouth right. warning to listen. Yeah, we're not eating these; they're just spores, and very few of mushroom-like things can cause human disease. Okay, most of them are molds or yeasts. So you, I I mean I guess I'm thinking so you don't. You're going in Hickson Forest, and you, you, you come across some new species, and you're all excited, and you grab this thing. There, you, you aren't worried that you're going to inhale some spore that's going to turn you into some new kind of zombie. That no, nothing like that. No, that no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Okay, <laughs> it's not like the fly. Help me! Help me! <laughs> <laughs> I may have seen too many movies. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and so I I have to be actually particularly careful because I have a heart, I had a heart transplant. Oh, okay. And so that's what's in the box right here that you've been eyeing. Oh yeah. Well, I've been. I left it up to you. You brought in this surprise for me, and then you asked me when I wanted to see it before or after or during and now this is the big reveal yeah so okay. this this is my old heart you brought your old <laughs> heart to yeah. show me oh so as, as you can see <laughs> this just took a <laughs> this podcast <laughs> just took a real turn yeah. you just you're just lugging this thing around with you to show people yeah oh okay I keep it in my office to scare off the freshmen okay and so this is a heart cozy that my Dear friends from Seattle made. It's a little mushroom yeah. heart cozy. Yeah. And it's, I, w- I would have, when you brought it out, I would have thought there's cookies in there. No. Uh, so this is, these are all made with wool that's dyed with mushrooms. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. And so then, is, is that, is that something that people do? Yeah, Was that historically it, yeah. a, yeah. huh? And so this is, and my heart's been dissected, but that's, that's it too. Oh my you, goodness! You can, you I'm gonna hold, hold your dissected heart right now. Well, this is a first for me. Yeah. 
Um, Sometimes I wear it on my sleeve. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is, uh, I, I have to say, I was not prepared to be holding a human heart today. <coughs> and, um, whew. I'm uh yeah this is uh this is very interesting this is a range a range of emotions that I'm feeling right now <laughs> not the least of which is creeped out <laughs> uh, well it's a little creepy I have to say I'm I mean I'm also curious I've I've always had a a little bit of a you know I would have never been a good doctor I don't <laughs> I don't I feel like I don't have the stomach for seeing innards and whatnot but. But I am a naturally curious person, and it is fascinating, <laughs> for sure. Um, and I was also expecting it to just be in uh, in a whole yeah. thing rather than uh, they they had dissected it to study it. They told me so. So this was you had it in the fridge. And no, then no, this brought... is this is in formalin, so it's not refrigerated at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shows what I know about carrying your own heart around. <laughs> yeah. <with> you. <laughs> so why you just brought this to show me just for kicks? Well, huh? so this is uh, because I've had a heart transplant. I have to suppress my immune system. Oh, and so I have to be careful about breathing in spores. Oh and that's, my uh, that's goodness! Because your immune system yeah. would attack your uh, your heart that yeah. you got. Holy cow! And so also taking drugs that are derived from fungi to prevent rejection really and so there's the one we talked about in the underground caterpillar is one of them cyclosporin is a drug and another one called mycophenolate comes from a penicillium a moldy species and this is to uh, to intentionally um inhibit your immune system right. huh <laughs> wow um that is i guess i'd never heard i mean it's my, I, I don't know, uh, you know, the, everything that I know about, about mycology, I'm, I've just learned in the oh, last good. 25 minutes or so outside of, I, I have a lot of experience with, with psilocybin, oh, but, uh, I'm shocked. <laughs> you know, that, speaking of that, there's been, there are a lot of clinical studies now yeah. that say that it is a great treatment for depression yeah that's my jam uh, ptsd ocd mm -hmm. all the other alphabetical things and you know th there's very good data that that says that's going to happen and you know um yeah. well denver I, denver just decriminalized it and i think that's the next thing to be decriminalized all over and oakland as well oakland that's right yeah 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 no the, the i i used to for depression well I've, I've used them for fun too but mm -hmm. i've i've used them um more for depression probably than mm -hmm. anything else quite effective Did it work for you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, pretty pretty lasting effects for the most part uh it, it has um it has been uh not without its um unwanted or unpredicted effects at times as well i've i've overdone it i've yeah. not done things properly and when the, when the shamans administer them in central america there there is a process where you are guided through the uh to be able to receive the visions yeah yeah uh, and and that seems to be the something that also helps in um in these kind of depression treatments and also for end of life kinds of treatments mm -hmm. you take a, there's a person that guides you through the the feelings and you know mm -hmm. it's all about they call set and setting yeah yeah and so that's um, you know i think that's important
Oh, yeah. Very, very important. Had to learn that the hard way. I was a young kid in La Crosse, Wisconsin, <laughs> bored out of my mind and looking for a little adventure and got more than I bargained for with old psilocybin mushrooms. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm not sure I'd have a science podcast today if it weren't for me becoming especially curious about how the mind works from, yeah. from, from mushrooms. Now here we are learning more about mushrooms and there's these little spores of information going out into the world right now. And there's some <laughs> hypotheses that say that humans became thinking because of taking yeah yeah the stoned ape theory yeah (laughs) that's a fun one i don't know how much stock i put into it but i'll tell you there's there there's there there is no more profound introspective experience than (laughs) than than mushrooms so uh who knows we have our other mind-altering things in the east that are producing beer and wine and such Right, right. So, you know, there's that's also played a huge role in history. <laughs> you know, when the in the Middle Ages, people were drinking water that was killing them, and you know, so they drank beer instead, and they didn't know that it was the boiling of the water that was killing everything in there. So right, right. I it's, think everybody in the Middle Ages was drunk all the time. Yeah, because that's all they drank was beer. Yeah, yeah. It was the only way to survive. <laughs> Had they known, they could have just boiled the water. It's amazing. Yeah, it's not as fun, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's in and, and now it's um I mean, what can't mushrooms do? It's pretty incredible because I've I've heard and again, I my knowledge is very limited, but uh, but I I've heard they've been used in like filtration systems or something like that by yeah. NASA or or something or other or I, yeah, uh, some bioremediation aspects are pretty heavily investigated now. Hmm. And so, you know, taking wastewater and putting it through micro filters and you know sorts of things like that putting them in the ground to s- stop oil spills from moving around hmm so lots of people investigating that hmm what historically what were mushrooms used for just as food typically mostly food there were some that were used in religious rituals right uh, there were some that were carved into um, icons mm-hmm. things like that uh uh, in the in Asia, East Asia especially, they were used to make cheese mm-hmm. and used as uh, long term medicine. So you know, nutraceutical is a word you see thrown about. So nutrition plus pharmaceutical. I never heard of it actually. Oh, there you go. Oddly enough. So there, you know, there's a lot of mushrooms that are eaten in Southeast Asia that are um, that just have medicinal properties to them. Hmm. So unlike Western medicine, where you take a pill and you want to be better right away, they, you know, they think of it as food and you have to take this over a long period of time for it to have an effect. Hmm. So we're just catching on to that in the West. Yeah. And there, you know, there still need to be more studies, but there are some that are, uh, have great effects. Some are said to cure cancer and some are said to cure diarrhea or constipation, whichever, whichever you want. Hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of. Um, I, I'm, ta- I'm taking both of those at the same time. Yeah. I'm just going to keep perfectly regular. <laughs> well, sometimes it's the same one that, that, that what uh, said to report. It'll reporting. just fix whatever uh, <laughs> whatever you got going uh, on down there, huh? Might uh, be a dose thing. I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah. It does. It does seem like. I, I mean. I I definitely think that one day maybe it won't be a, a thought for another thousand years or whatever we we will have things dialed in quite nicely and you will take a, 
a pill that will fix <laughs> what ails you in a specific instance. But I, I think, think we be, are. It would be sooner than that. I mean, if you look at the progress in the last 50 years, yeah, it's astounding. It really is. And, and I, th- I mean, I do think that we're approaching that and, and what I'll probably see in my lifetime will, will be um, unfathomable compared to where I am right now, but I don't think that we are there right now. And I, I think that there is a, a really, um, you know, I, 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 I think that there is a lot to, I mean, I think that there's a lot of nonsense out in every field of, uh, wellness and, and uh, health and and diets and all of that, but yeah, the, I do the, think the internet has not helped with that. There, <laughs> it has not. Well, it's created opportunities, but there's it's also created <laughs> some uh, negative effects as well. But but yeah, I, I think that there will in in the meantime there will be a lot of uh, a lot that we can that we're starting to wake up to that can be gained from more of these natural. Um, yep, uh, alternatives, not to fall too much into some naturalistic fallacy or whatever, but, but uh, I, I mean, you show me the double blind studies, I'll believe you. <laughs> yeah, that's my standard. Yeah, right. It's pretty high. Yeah. Um. So, so what are what are mushrooms being used for in terms of you? You mentioned a few of the things right now, but in terms of uh, in in Western society or or with modern medicine um being used for um for for anything are are there different species being used as supplements or yeah there's a there's a lot of medicinal kind of things and you know antibiotics Hmm. are from fungi um lots of different kind of drugs Hmm. Uh, so there's there's plenty of stuff like that Hmm. what about in terms of um, helping. Wh- when is it the fungi helps an ecosystem, and one, and when does it do harm in certain environments? So the, the main harm is when a fungus is accidentally imported into the United States, say, and the trees here have never seen that fungus before, weren't ready for it. Yeah, and so things like Dutch elm disease or chestnut blight um, mm. and things like that are um, devastating diseases because of that. Uh, so in uh, Dutch elm disease actually comes from China, despite its name. And so the trees in China grew over thousands of years, uh, becoming more resistant to the fungus while the fungus is becoming more virulent to the tree. So this kind of this arms race. And so you have a very high level of, of resistance and a very high level of virulence. And then you get to the United States, the very virulent fungus gets here and the trees have never seen it. They have very little resistance and they die. Mm-hmm. So we see all kinds of diseases like that. I mean, that's, that's been, that's happened over and over again throughout world history with, in many domains. That's why we have the broccoli police at the border. Uh, What's that? That's why we have the broccoli police at the border. Oh yeah. Keep all those things out. Right. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Um, Yeah. Sometimes humans have been the invasive species that humans nothing was ready for. Species, yeah. <laughs> That's a different problem. <laughs> um, yeah, that is. Do you, know the, do you know that humans are very closely related to fungi? Um, animals and I, fungi. Yeah, are, what is that? I, as you say it, I'm I'm kind of remembering getting some. Yeah, so remember when we had the two kingdoms? We had animals and plants, and animals moved and plants didn't, basically. 
Yeah. So the fungi were with the with the plants then, because they had cell walls and they didn't move. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But now all the DNA evidence tells us they're sister group to the animals. So they shared a more recent common ancestor with the animals than they did with the plants by a lot. By a lot. Yeah. Huh. What does that evolutionary picture look like? Do we have any? Oh yeah. Sense there's of- there's pretty good pictures. I can, you know, can't show you on a podcast, but here you know, motioning like this and uh there are you know there is some common ancestor of the of the um, animals and the fungi hmm what animals they're no longer exist yeah i mean all the animals are the sister group uh-huh hmm. so I mean, you go back to the sponges and the jellyfish and things like that and you know keep going back and then you eventually get to a and you go back in the fungi um evolution and you get the you get back to a common ancestor yeah isn't it, it was my understanding that isn't there like kind of the the war between the uh, the sponges and the jellyfish and what were the <laughs> closest related to or what what created the most species something yeah. like that there's some confusion there right <clears throat> well that's mostly been worked out now it has been you know, being able to do dna sequencing has helped a lot with right. with all of that hmm. um, so there's a pretty good picture emerging for most groups there's some that are still pretty obscure that we don't so are we sponges or are we jellyfish oh we're neither (laughs) what's our common ancestor we share more more recent common ancestor with the sponges than with jellyfish huh okay (laughs) so well first off i want to know how, how did you get interested in mycology in the first place I took a course in college and Where? I, and at Ohio University, okay. Athens, Ohio, and I found out you get free food. And so that was appealing because a poor college student eats free food. So if you knew what you're doing, you could go out and find as many mushrooms as you wanted to eat. Yeah. Well, it's a fun little and it's uh, fun. hike and adventure. And yeah. And it was when it come, came time to go to grad school, it was weird enough for me. And so I that's what I did. Because it was weird enough. Huh. Um Hmm. Well, so what? What do you see? How old is the field of mycology? How how long have people depends been? on what you count? So yeah. the, uh, I'm guessing that cave people found <laughs> right. mushrooms and asked, "What is this?" So that's mycology, right? Right. Huh. Uh, what about modern mycology with the scientific method? How how big of a field has it been? Most people say that started with uh, Elias Fries in the 1700s. He was Swedish. Yeah, uh, was what's his story? the father of modern mycology. He's, he made a list of all the fungi that had names at the time and then named a lot more. Huh. <laughs> and that process continues today. And that still continues. You think that, how, how many like in a year are we naming? Uh, not very many, uh, several hundred. Oh, that's not enough. No. We're never going to get there. That's right. What do we What do we got to do to make this happen? We just need more mycologists money, working money, on this. Money. We need more of that mycology money. <laughs> yeah. Well, can't you generate it with? The, I mean, it seems like if you're if you're building these filtration systems, you're you're creating new medicines with these. Can't uh, isn't isn't there some incentive to invest? You would think so. <laughs> so there, I mean, people just, are investing in fungi. There there are lots of people. They're starting working to? on that, you know. Hmm. You know, there's. I think mycology is becoming much more popular 
as people are into the local foods and things like that, they can go in a mushroom foray and eat something in their backyard. And you can't get much more local than that. And so, you know, there, I see an uptick in people going to mushroom forays, which are places where you all people who are interested in fungi come to meet. Hmm. Uh, and I see a lot more young people than there used to be. So they're catching on now, too. So that's good. Hmm. So you go to the grocery store and uh, and you pick out some portobellos or whatever. Are those ha- have those been shaped through uh, through farming mostly? Or are are they are yeah, there still like portobellos out in the wild there, that are there's just still like something them? like portobellos in the wild? Mm-hmm. Uh, the portobello is actually the same species as the white button mushroom. Mm-hmm. And so when they bred, so the white button mushroom was one time looked like portobellos. And then they bred them uh, during a time when there was a craze for white food, which seems like really weird. <laughs> and so when they bred them, they didn't breed for flavor. They bred for them to be white. Huh. And so they, you know, that's what we got. And we got something that's relatively flavorless. Uh, and then someone went back and, and discovered a wild wild portobello in nature and developed that into the commercial crop that it is now. Mm. What are you into? What am I into? My favorites are chanterelles, which can't be cultivated. Oh, you, you got to <laughs> go out picking them? Yep. And are they all edible? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> that is a little a, hesitation there. As far as I know, all okay. the chanterelles are edible. Huh. And there's a, some are way better than others, and but they're all they're all good. Hmm. Most of them smell like apricots. Okay. All right. Well, I I have a few more questions before we start. Uh, we start wrapping up. I don't want to forget. I have my guests each week plug a charity of their choice. Did you have one in mind? Yeah, I am a volu- I volunteer for the Blue Stars Drum and Bugle Corps. Oh, and awesome! So I'm about to leave on tour with them for a month. Yeah, they tour the Midwest and the what country. What do you do? What, are you um, a drummer? No, I'm you actually tr- I'm, a, I'm a trumpet player. You're a what? A trumpet player. Okay. And so, but I help serve food and and cook and things like that. What do they do? They, they march. I mean, yeah, they go a, around it's, marching. It's like marching band on steroids. Okay. And so there are lots of competitions, and you know they go all over the place, and they're very good. Are they all over the country? Uh, they are. There's. There are about 40 of them around the country that okay. eventually meet in Indianapolis for the big finals. Oh, wow. <laughs> When's that? Uh, for for pe- August, all, yeah. everyone planning their big Indianapolis yeah. uh, trips. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're you know, a great bunch of young people. Um, and I like to hang out with that kind of group. It keeps me young. Hmm. So they're uh, really nice kids and you know, I enjoy being there. Nice. Well, listeners can go to the herewearepodcast.com website to find the link and to find more. What are you, uh, what are you most excited about in the future of mycology? Uh, are there, are there any new technology? I mean, you mentioned DNA sequencing. I mean, I imagine that just changed everything. Are there any, are there any like new technologies that you're looking forward to being developed or, or is it like DNA sequencing becoming cheaper? Is there it's, cheap- it's actually relatively cheap to do the DNA sequencing. Yeah. There are other methods that are faster and easier, but you know, you have to use the DNA to figure out what those faster methods are. Hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's exciting. Um, as I become older, I become less interested in what to call things. 
and more interested in what they do. So okay. I'm really, I'm really not interested in, you know, figuring out new species. I don't even know what a species is. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really does. The people who think they are, you can see right behind me is a Dunning Kruger effect on the board. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that think they know what a species is, and I have no idea what a species is. Right, right. So the people that know the least are the most sure of yeah. their knowledge. Um, so, so what, uh, what are you excited about? Maybe some potential medical breakthroughs or other? I think there's going to be, in medical mycology, there's going to be some, there's got to be some new kind of drugs as the fungi become resistant. Uh, there's got to be some uses, more medicinal uses for fungi. Uh, the people are still investigating more antibiotics, more of whatever you can find to treat whatever you can think of. So there are plenty of uh, avenues there in medical mycology. There's lots of ecological kinds of things. What are fungi doing in nature? Hmm. Um, so I see, you know, I've been studying fungi for a long time, 40 some years. And just now I think I understand what's going on underground, hmm. but I don't know it well enough to explain it to anybody. <laughs> so that's where I'm hoping to get in a few years that I could make a diagram of what's happening, what's happening underground. Okay. You don't want to take a whack at it right now, explaining yeah, the whole process <laughs> yeah. for my listeners. I mean, there are, you know, there are trees and roots underground. The fungi are associated with the roots. There are fungi, the fungi are leaky. Leaky. Uh, yeah. What do you so mean? they're, you know, there's so much food sometimes that they leak out the food. And that attracts bacteria and fungi to it uh, mm. um, that are eating the leaky stuff. And trees are leaky, too. So they're leaking out stuff to actually to attract the, the mycorrhizae to them. Uh, there are then insects that are underground, worms. And, and then there are billions of bacteria in every scoop of soil. And so that's all, those are all interacting with one another. Nothing is, is what you see in the textbooks. It's not this one thing that's that you can explain in a in a little diagram. There's everything is going on under there. Hmm. So, are there any it, it, do fungi communicate with one another? Is there? They do. There are. Uh, there's lots of evidence now that the the fungi are putting out chemical signals to one another uh, to attract a mate sometimes, or to um, you know, to keep, to warn other fungi that they're being under, under attack. Hmm. Um, How do you go about attracting a mate as a fungi? Like what makes you like a real sexy <laughs> fungi? Pheromones. It's all about the pheromones. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you want like a maybe. You dump of, some stuff out in the air and hope for the best. And there's some <laughs> sort of genetic compatibility. Right. Absolutely. Being. Yeah. There's actually in, in one fungus has more than 28,000 sexes. What? You should have opened with that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, increases so your chance freaky. of a date on a Friday night. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> huh. 28,000 in one species? Uh-huh. I guess I don't understand how that works. <laughs> what? So they can mate with anything that's not their own sex. Okay. Huh. And so, that so, de- so there's 28,000 thousand choices uh-huh. they're, not all, in, they're get, not all in the same place there's 
Yeah, there might be 20 in one area. Oh, that'd be such a bummer to run into your same sex, like the 28,000 that you can mate with, and then you find the one out of 28,000 that you can't. That's the way it goes. <laughs> but that means that that's your, probably your sibling. Okay. And so it's less, that would be creepier. Yeah. So you send a, you send a pheromone signal out, and then what, what happens? Uh, what, I, so I guess I don't understand a, they, how the mating. So they grow toward one another. Okay. They can't move, right? So they just have to grow toward one another. Okay. So how, how far away are they? I mean, I suppose they usually have to be pretty speech. close for that to. Yeah, I think to so. be sensed. It depends on where you know whether they're in the air or whether you know they're in the soil or wherever they are. Okay, and so then they start fusing together, and then they spore sometime yeah. afterwards. Yeah, they might make huh. a mushroom, or they might not. Hmm. And is there? I can see your mind exploding from here. Well, it is a little bit. I mean, I'm also wondering, just in terms of, um, is there anything else that they're able to communicate, like in terms of, say, danger in the environment or plentiful resources in the environment? Is, is there, are there any other kinds of communication like that happening? That's the main things that they're communicating about. How? You know, and they... Pheromones again? Uh, they're chemicals that are flowing through the hyphae. Okay. And so they they also have traced signals from one tree to the next tree uh, through the fungi. So this tree is being eaten by a whole bunch of caterpillars and signals sent underground to all the other trees that are nearby and it's sent through the mycorrhizal fungi mm-hmm. to the other trees and they set up more, they set up chemical defenses against these moths or caterpillars, whoever is eating them. Hmm. So hmm. there's more, you know, that communication underground is all part of what I don't quite understand yet. Hmm. So, well, this is a pretty good. Is there anything that we're missing from the mycology 101 that that you're just going to kick yourself if we don't if we don't get yeah, it out so, there for people? So, fungi. When fungi eat, they. So, think about when we eat first. So, okay. you you take if you find your food, you ingest it, and it goes down into your guts where it's digested. Fungi do the opposite. They find their food and they dump their enzymes out onto the food. And the, en- the digestion takes place outside their bodies, and then they absorb the small molecules that were made from that. Hmm. So if you were to do that same thing, you would go to the fancy restaurant and order your surf and turf or a tofu surprise or whatever, and you would dump all your enzymes out onto the food and then stick your hands in it for a large surface area to absorb the, the, the food molecules. Huh. So well, some insects do something kind of similar, right? They, they release the thing that breaks it down, but then I guess they kind of drink it up like yeah. a smoothie or something afterwards. But then they're absor- absorbing it. The mushrooms are absorbing it. Huh. Right. Very interesting. <laughs> so what if, what if, uh, if people want to want to learn more about mycology, you got like a, a book out there that's like a, you know, kind of more accessible. Um, I have a lot of stuff uh, on my webpage that I haven't updated for a long time. So that's tomvolkfungi.net. Yeah. And you can go there and find stuff. And, you know, there's there's plenty of really good mycology books out there now, too. Terrific. Well, I'll put a link to your uh, your page on the site. And thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, this is fun. really interesting and, and uh, fa- yeah, just fascinating and educational. I learned new words today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 28,000 sexes. That's <laughs> that, that one I'm going to be thinking about for a while. Um, but yeah, it was a pleasure having you and, um, and 
good good luck learning what's going on underground yeah uh, you'll you'll have to once you figure it out and you're like i solved it all you'll have to send me an email i'll have you back okay. on the show um and i want to thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people and checking out this podcast and spreading the word to your friends like little spores out there spreading information and uh, that's about it you guys have been great talk to you next week on the next episode of the here we are podcast bonus episode five episodes a month now thanks to the partnership with libro.fm offer code here we are and the great courses plus.com slash here we are i'm doing five episodes a month so you get two episodes this week Simona Getty is joining the show. We had a terrific conversation about childhood memory development at the University of California, Davis. Tune in for that. Man, I have been thinking so much about memory lately and uh, especially in terms of how it pertains to consciousness. And I, I've been, I'm still wrangling in a few of, of uh some of my ideas and, and grounding them a little bit, but I've, I've been having some, uh, some really interesting insights, I feel, into kind of interpreting and, and translating our inner worlds and certainly at least my own personal inner experience. It's been quite a fun adventure that I've been on and they were sparked by some conversations like this that I had. Uh, this is recorded a, a few months ago, uh, like this, and with um, Charn Ragnaroth, uh, who was we had on for two episodes talking about memory, and I'll I'll be sharing. I was gonna do it this episode, but uh, on the next episode at the end, I'll share just just some uh, some kind of broader, um, more grounded thoughts um, and ideas on consciousness that I've been having, um, and. And because uh, they are they're quite complicated, and I'm I'm still checking them against uh, other people who know more about the subject than I do. And I've, I've been sprinkling a bunch of stuff into recent episodes that you're going to be hearing in coming months. And uh, the, the uh, thanks to learning so much from the great courses, and also doing so much stand-up science and everything else. Um, I have I have been really uh, thinking of lots of new interesting ideas about perception and reality and consciousness and that sort of thing um, quite a bit lately. Writing a lot about it, working on some new projects about it, and uh, we'll we'll see what the finished product ends up looking like. But for now, I'm excited to be working on um, uh, those kinds of topics. And since we talked about mycology, now is as good a time as any to talk about my partnership with Myco Meditations. I am so grateful to be a, um, a part of uh, the Myco Meditations team, or in a way, I guess that's sort of our relationship. I, they let me basically do, uh, we can do as many retreats um as as we want there as there are uh demand from listeners from this podcast we have 
yet to fill a, a full retreat from all just here we are listeners, but things have changed since that time, and uh, things like Michael Pollan's book that have that have made um, psychedelics that much more um, uh, popular, I guess, and normalized, um, and ha- has piqued a lot of people's curiosities. Just that it's you know kind of not tucked away hidden somewhere on the dark web it's in the front of a whole lot of bookstores out there and people are picking it up and having a look and then i'm with my documentary psychonautics comics exploration of psychedelics that um you know i've, I've that that's um kind of helped with uh with building followers from the psychedelic community and so I'm, I'm very hopeful we, we have about a half full retreat right now for January January 18th through January 25th and um, I, I, I don't know uh, I never know how often um, I can do these things right now it's a year we did another one um, uh, we did one in April and, and so we're going back in a little less than a year um, if the demand for it takes off we'll we'll maybe be able to do them more often than that it's um it's tricky because it's not um you know i'm not potentially um basically i i can make the same amount of money just doing stand-up science and touring around and that's that's probably building more um toward my toward my future on paper and and what I ultimately care about which is science communication but I do really really believe in these psilocybin retreats and I have such a wonderful time being there and especially as as I myself as I'm still taking a break from psychedelics and just I mean honestly guys I just feel like I'm kind of in a way sort of um getting there on the natch or in in a controlled like I think that I'm often in a place where I'm just very, right now, very connected with my inner world and very mindful. So I just, I just don't feel the same need for uh, psychedelics. Have been so instrumental for me in terms of um, one, they've been great for uh, my creativity, which I just don't need any help with right now. I need organizational help. I am chuck full of creative thoughts and ideas and and novel solutions to problems. I, I, not to discard that or take it for granted because I go in streaks where that's not the case. But um, but that was that was my past with psychedelics. I I used it for that and then and then much more often for um, uh, depression and then also just really just to understand myself and in the brain a lot better and I just feel like I'm kind of having all of those needs met right now and I've kind of seen um I've had a enough uh high intensity kind of experiences for for the time being that I'm still integrating and and uh but it's and I and I I worry that I'm I'm just kind of um, so open right now and connected to those spaces naturally that to to throw a little more on top of it might might make things kind of 
um, spin a little a, a little faster and and less organized than I'd than I'd want them to um, at the time being. And, and I have a lot of clarity and kind of the path that I'm on and and where I'm going and. So those are all the other things that I got kind of got out of psychedelics too, and and I'm I'm really free of any any like serious kind of addictive um, tendencies or or really bad habits or behavior right now. I'm just kind of slowly chipping away at building building some better ones, and so uh, and, and I really credit much of my um, past psychedelic experiences. For that, and I've been man. I've really been reflecting back on uh, and, and understanding some of my past experiences from, you know, trips I had five years ago. Understanding in a new light, and I've been writing a lot about them, and and I've, I've, I'm kind of finding some various platforms to talk about them, and um, you know, I'm going to be talking about consciousness and the Port Elliot Fest in England and um and in uh the Ozora Fest outside of Budapest uh, I'm going to be giving another talk about that and and but the but these retreats are a really nice way for me to kind of connect and see because it's a lot of it's a lot of people that either haven't done mushrooms before or had a, a psychedelic experience before or it's been a long time, or or maybe they you know they did it once at like a concert or something like that, trying trying to party or something, or they had an unsettling experience, and it's it's uh, been a really cool experience to see people have, um, you know, I'd say nine out of ten people have a really absolutely transformative experience, and you know, quite frankly, the worry is is that you know, these things aren't, nothing in, in life is 100% risk-free, and certainly these, I've, I've experienced firsthand some of uh, what can happen with, I, I don't think that's going to happen in a three-trip retreat, but what can happen from overuse of, of psychedelics over way more more experiences than that over a, a much longer sustained period and not allowing time for integration and 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 I've I've seen other people kind of I guess go off the rails a a, a little bit for uh a while and have have trouble integrating and you know that's that's the big concern that's what everyone um worries about uh who that that kind of is in the know that is open to these things and and excited about doing them that's that's the big concern that's on everyone's mind and i don't think that's happened at all at michael meditations i i know i know it hasn't happened while i've been there and and you know it's something that um because i'm i'm attaching my name to this i'm kind of you know putting my self out there and exposing myself and it's been a big part of my um consideration and in, in terms of how involved I want to be in any of this and at the end of the day I mean what I keep on coming back to is I've just seen so much good in myself and in other people from these experiences that it's just undeniable to me and I and it's you know this is me putting my money where my mouth is and putting my putting myself and and my 
my word on the line and and frankly the the experiences that have or the 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 people that have showed up to the retreat that I've been the most I don't know what the word disappointed for I guess I basically the biggest when I say nine out of ten people having or maybe eight out of ten having like really really uh life-changing transformative experiences another one out of ten you know having having like a really really nice time maybe nothing that they would consider like life-altering or anything like that but really to have 80 percent have something so powerful happen to them is pretty incredible to watch and then the the ones that bummed me out is um is the one out of ten seem to like not really get much from it and, and no one knows exactly what's it, it's it seems to often be attached with ssri use when people have a long history with uh with antidepressants um they seem to either need really 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 high doses that would seem insane to a normal person and still sometimes kind of don't don't get through or or feel much of anything other than like maybe a little slight buzz or whatever and you know and i i have um i would say one of the one of the guys from the last retreat who i would say i was like kind of hoping he was gonna like feel more or have like a bigger experience from it he's he's bringing his wife back um uh and and coming coming back to my retreat and I, I don't even think he knew who I was or what I was about before um showing up to the, the retreat that I was at last time and and so so you know that's kind of a what some of the worst case scenarios have been where it's just like geez sorry he can't he came all this way and and nothing happened but uh but still c- comparing that to what you know the big concern is out there if someone having some psychotic break or something like that uh you know that's that's really the worst case is that someone's just not going to feel much of anything or have a have a mild experience you're still getting an absolutely fantastic beautiful trip to jamaica around a bunch of absolutely wonderful people who you know they all keep in touch with one another and um, once in a while I check in in the, in the threads and, um, see everyone's kind of sharing, uh, where their life is at and how things have changed for them and that sort of thing. And it's been cool to see, see a bunch of past guests get together and come out to some of my shows even, and, and see that they're, they're kind of once in a while getting together and hanging out. It's, it's, um, it's been pretty cool. So, you know, within that, I, I've always thought, well, what is the best way to go about this? And it's funny because Michael Meditations has gotten some, there's there's been like some people on like the more clinical side of things that have gone there, like wanted to work with them, um, didn't work out and then want to like do their own thing and then decide to say um, Michael Meditations isn't like following whatever like strict clinical protocol or or something like that because they would like to see things be more strictly regimented and clinical because that's their background and that's how they view things and honestly I kind of disregard the I mean I this is a science podcast I care about science and clinical studies and everything else 
far more than the average person, as, as you guys know. But um, I think it can be kind of constricting in some of these experiences sometime. And it, and it's funny to hear some of those same people you, you talk about, you, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have that same critique of, say, going to Peru and doing an ayahuasca ceremony it's like well some of these are real shaman and some of them are fake shaman it's like well come on it's you know it's a psychedelic my because this person's wearing some shaman costume and is like following some tradition and uh you, you know that that's what makes it legitimate i don't uh you know i think you can have a experience without the without doing all of the background tradition. It's funny how respected that stuff is, though. If you're like, if you have, if it's, it has any like, oh, it's an ancient practice, and then you like have some, like someone's hitting a drum or something, and that's, that's okay. Uh, that doesn't need to be like some sterile clinical environment. But like, if people are, uh, chilling out on a, uh, a beach in Jamaica during their experience, and it's not in a sterile <laughs> lab. And again, this is just like a couple people that have that have uh, said that it's like not not controlled enough. There's not a, enough safety precautions in place. But I've been thinking a lot about that because. One, you guys should know, um, you know, what you're, to me, they're pretty, there's, you know, there's a nurse there, there's staff there, there's, uh, you know, Jamaica is not the place you want to end up uh, having to go to a, a hospital, but, you know, neither is Peru. And, you know, this comes with the territory. It's, it's unfortunate that um, mushrooms aren't, aren't legal everywhere and, and that, uh, you have to go to Jamaica in the first place, but it's a, it's an absolutely lovely, lovely experience and it's all part of it. And it's, and, uh, you know, in terms of things going poorly, uh, yeah, they're, they're working toward getting clinical psychologists there and, and they have many times at many of the retreats that I've been to, um, they've, they've had people with those backgrounds and, uh, sometimes those people haven't, haven't worked out um that well there either and i i've even uh you know i've butted heads with a couple people that have um been down there and and i i don't think that any one discipline has it all figured out and and some of that stuff can be a little controlling and um for example i had there's this lady down there at a retreat who eventually had a wanted to go off and do her own thing and decide she had she had actually done some kind of unsafe practices and left guests alone during a trip herself and was asked to uh uh had future retreats canceled and blew a gasket and 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 tried to get all these people to say all these negative things such weird drama amongst the uh, the psychedelic community it's a lot of a lot of high emotions running in the psychedelic community a lot lots of like weird bids for power that you wouldn't expect from a bunch of like ego free people or whatever um but I, I encourage anyone to you know find any kind of legitimate thing 
that you can uh, anywhere. And I'm even looking to partner with some other organizations in addition to uh, Myco Meditations. And and I, if I think, it, I mean, I think if you can qualify for say like a MAPS, a Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies study for your PTSD and and do MDMA in one of these strict controlled environment. I mean, the the data is there. It shows that it works really, really well. And and I encourage you to do that. Unfortunately, not everyone's going to qualify. And unfortunately, there's, you know, they're only equipped right now to handle so many people. But goodness this is i would personally rather and i've done a lot of stupid things on psychic yeah you know, i started doing psychedelics when i was 16 i've done them in all the wrong ways <laughs> um that's how i know but you know i've, I've had cl- ketamine in a clinical setting and and um you know i kind of uh, get I, I don't know everything about it but you know i've been to therapy and i kind of get the clinical approach but you know therapists have also uh been known to focus so much on trauma i I, this is so much going on because i think it legitimizes it so much you know when when you can be like well this is helping veterans or you know the thc you aren't going to deny a child with cancer cbd are you and and this is a way that that you can kind of push the agenda forward you know you you use these very extreme cases when when at the end of the day i mean i'm saying this from a guy who could give a fuck about marijuana but uh but we should all have the right to smoke it, whether it's helping sick children or not. It's unfortunate that we need to result, uh, uh, you know, re- rely on those. But they're, you know, they're effective, and and those are the people that need it the most and deserve it the most and and need the most care. And we should absolutely be thinking about and putting resources into helping. Of course, but it shouldn't even. I, we, it's a conversation we shouldn't even be having uh, uh, about whether people should be allowed to have marijuana or not. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, the the people that don't think people should be able to have marijuana, they should be the ones that have to defend their point of view because it's absolutely absurd. And and I feel the same way about psychedelics but but because of that and and um you know because of the history of therapy so much of it is on the trauma and so to be like this legitimate uh and i hope you guys do come down with your problems and share them it's one of the beautiful experiences people have these past horrific things that have happened with their lives that uh, that they are sharing and and getting through but I think it also misses some of the bigger picture of overall wellness and and um, gaining appreciation for the the many things um, that life has to offer, and it can be about a lot more than just uh, you know uh, fixing these negative things. It can also be about improving on what's already good. Um, and you know, this is a big field with positive psychology that's that's popping up now and and 
Um, that's my argument. And Michael Meditations is actually, you know, they're they're all about Eric, um, who runs Michael Meditations. When when we work really well together, because he's actually kind of the safety. <laughs> if you ask me, they're they're almost too. Um, they're more um, kind of controlling um, and um, restrictive than. Then I would, in an ideal world, have people try when I when I go out with uh, and guide friends of mine on through psychedelic trips. It's certainly less restrictive than what they're doing in Jamaica, and they're doing that because they do really care about safety and taking care of of people. Um, so you know, there's these delicate balances and in, in everything. But uh, man, I, I so I was down there and this. And this was, I think, the first retreat that I did. And and there's this lady who's like, you know, she's got this background of did psilocybin research with with Johns Hopkins and and um she she just had that background of of like you're you're in this lab, you're sitting in a bed with like two therapists on each side of you and and um you do this like safe dose by the way you can pick your dose in jamaica i'll probably encourage you to go for it for your first one go big um because it's in a really safe environment from that for that and um and it's just you you know you have you have people around you to support you in that and then if you want to back off on the other ones because you got what you came there for then then you know you're not gonna you're not gonna end up being the one out of ten people that doesn't feel something. Um, whereas I do not recommend doing something like that on your own. You know that that's part of the the big value in in being able to be in an environment like this. So, um, gosh, I'm so tangential. I, I even forgot to. Uh, mention that this is all for for people new. I've just started adding all this bonus content at the end, so yeah, I don't expect people to listen. And it's really just me kind of rambling what's on my my mind and and uh, talking about life a little bit more. But so we were sitting there before uh, we hadn't done the mushrooms or anything yet. But we were we were sitting there. I think we had like an hour or so to kill before we were all gonna get together and and sit down for um uh one of the experiences and you know it's it's great that we get prepped ahead of time we all sit around talk about our intentions what we you know what you're there for what you're hoping to get out of it and then after the experience uh you know we we talk about what you went through and try to integrate what you learned and interpret some of the things it's a Interpreting the psychedelic experience is a, is a really complicated, tricky bit of business. One of my favorite things to do in the entire world, and where I feel really, really valuable, um, is is in doing that. And um, you know, I I still I would never call myself an expert, but I'm not sure that anyone is or can be. So, so that's that's where I find the most value in terms of the experience itself. And you know, most people are just sitting there in this in this beautiful space. Last time it was this huge 
open lawn overlooking the ocean and you know it's just such a great mix of people i think it was i think it was half male half female last time and and the age range was really there wasn't many young people on the last retreat but we've we've gotten a, we've gotten a couple as as young as like um 20 20 one, 22, early 20 years old. I've had a few of those in the retreats. It tends to skew a little older, um, but a really nice range. And that's, that's fun and cool and important too, that there's, you know, always seems like there's always been some people in or near their seventies, uh, you know, a couple there and, and maybe a couple in their like late twenties. And then, um, everyone else, uh, I think the majority was probably around, around the 35 to 50 year old range, um, last time, but you know, it's, uh, everyone's welcome of course. And, and the, um, the age range I think is really beneficial for everybody, but so this is before the retreat and this, and this, uh, Johns Hopkins person who is just, you know, just kind of like a nervous, I don't think she had that much experience tripping herself. And it was just like tripping with the, uh, uh, your nervous mom or something <laughs> like that. It was just like so overly concerned about it. And I mean, not that I'm sure she yeah, means well and everything else, but I was sitting there, you know, we're killing time. We got an hour to kill before this experience. And yeah, I like hanging out with everyone and we'll really get to know each other during the retreat. I'm a big board gamer, so I'll sometimes bring out some board games. And um, and I brought out this board game, Bang. It's just, uh, it's, you know, I think it's ages like eight and up or something like that. It's some like Western themed game. And uh you know there's eight of us sitting around to play this game and and she heard that the game is called bang oh my gosh and then like came over and was like what are you playing like in front of everybody didn't like pull me aside and and like hey can i talk to you about that there might be violent undertones of of uh old western game that might uh, get into people's subconscious and interfere with their trip which is already a hair silly not not that uh, you know you, you are tapping into your subconscious and everything during these these experiences but come on there is worse stuff in there than a, a little child's board game that that you're going to play and and she just like freaked out caused this scene made it so awkward for everybody we had to pack up everything and then <laughs> it was so weird and that's just like a mild uh little example of of the uh, and this, and this is before all the trouble started, um, with this one lady. So all of that is to say is, is that there's a lot of different ways of looking at, at a lot of these experiences. And I come from a perspective of like, I basically never want to be included in any group. I never see eye to eye with any group of people. I really, um, you know, when, when I get to do these podcasts, I feel like I, sometimes I feel like I'm getting to express like my true self in talking with scientists, but other times I, I, I feel like I'm a very different person than, 
than a lot of the personality type that comes along with this. And, and, you know, I'm just always been like that with groups where I've had a lot of different friend groups and, and I've never felt like uh, I've never fully bought into like being in one group and like all one group of people checked all of the boxes for me in the same way that a lot of people seem to, a lot of people seem to need and want that or, or benefit from that. And, and that just hasn't been my experience. So I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of yoga because I've been going to yoga like crazy. And, you know, sometimes I go in and it's just, you know, at first it was irritating. Um, sometimes when I, when the yoga teacher was like really far to the spiritual side of things. Um, and because I, you know, I'm not that way and in terms of psychedelics i've had plenty of experiences that make me question what exactly i've tapped into and seen um but but my outside of that i just don't um you know i don't resonate with like the chakra talk as much as um you know so many people seem to that 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 kind of stuff but um you know now i kind of find it interesting and like entertaining kind of just from like a you know I often find myself taking the taking on the role of of you know kind of just being an anthropologist in many of the groups that I find myself in are associating with in life I, I think I've always kind of felt that way and so now I kind of take it as you know what is when people uses the when people use these words what are they trying to say or what are they tapping into because i i do believe that they are tapping into um you know something that is real and grounded in reality and it's just the the way in which we interpret these things are all um you know we translate them in different ways we we use different words and um vocabularies and styles to to communicate a lot of the same thing a a lot of times and you know a very simple example of this is I like when a yoga teacher is talking about anatomy even though I don't know anatomy and I could really kind of give a shit about anatomy I, I should care more I just can't it's just something that for whatever reason I don't um care about like the different muscles and how they function it's just never um, it's one of those topics that's that I've, I've I've never really grabbed onto. Unfortunately, I think my my life, my health would probably be better if if I knew more about that stuff. But I I just can't find, seem to find myself or get myself interested. But I do respond. There's just something like real sounding about it, you know. When I'm in when I'm in class and they're talking about like a muscle group and this is what's happening in like a tendon or <laughs> this and that, even though they could be totally BSing. Um, and then, and then really, um, in terms of, uh, the mind and the out breath relaxing, that's, you know, that's something I would have never bought into. And I would have rolled my eyes at, had I not myself come to understand the stress response system and, you know, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, uh, stress responses that we've talked about in the 
past podcasts and like my, my guy Robert Sapolsky, who I, I know uh, a few of you said you took his class on great courses or have been taking it and and have have liked it just as much as I claimed that you would the best class I've ever taken um but uh you know how how in the in the during when you exhale there's a small parasympathetic response that takes place so you know I I like buy into that experience more because that resonates with me because I I know from like a neuroscience standpoint uh, where that is where where someone else might say now when you breathe out express the divine spirit of space and relaxation within or whatever and uh, you know talk about it in this kind of mystical term and at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I think it is really important to have a kind of factual understanding of, of the mechanisms of how things work. And that's how we'll continue to learn and improve on our knowledge base and, and know what is real and what isn't and, and what can be tested and what can be improved on. But, um, but I, uh, you know, it's ultimately at the end of the day, um, if someone's shown up to yoga and they're focusing a little more on their on their out breath or they're doing this in meditation it it should theoretically be helping them relax a bit no matter if it's a mystical explanation a neuroscience explanation or or anything in between and that's what's cool about micro meditations to me where um, you know, especially when I'm there, I, I bring a, a pretty scientific point of view in terms of what I think people are perceiving and what's going on in the subconscious. And, um, Eric tends to kind of have one foot in the mystical side of things and another foot in the kind of scientific side of things. And he's probably a mycologist first and foremost eric's the kind of um the founder of micro meditations and and um and then and then there's uh, uh there's at most of the retreats been a facilitator um that is m- really much further into the mystical side of things in in different people that come to the retreat resonate with um each of us on different levels in different ways and some people need to hear uh, the some people are there for spiritual awakenings or or whatever or that side of things but whatever you consider spirituality to be and you know i'm not there to dismiss that and and you're welcome and there's going to be people there that that can kind of speak that language and then there's other people out there that are uh, a little more like me and tend to like roll their eyes when they when they hear about um, you know the more mystical spiritual side of things probably because they had a strict confining organized religious upbringing like I did and uh, you know are turned off by by that kind of experience and and that's what's really cool about micro meditations is is. I do feel like there's there's something for everybody, and 
man, the people that came to the last retreat, especially, I, I mean, it's always a good group of awesome people, but especially the last one, I don't know if it was because it was like a little higher end, one of the comfort retreats where, you know, it's just going to skew older people that have a little more income, maybe have had a little more success or whatever, but gosh, it was such a group of really interesting, um, intelligent people with, you know, doctors and, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and, just really incredible um, people there. And, and then also some people young and just s- still trying to find themselves too. And, and uh, it was just so cool. And, that, and that's why I've decided to, you know, keep going with this stuff, even though I've been putting a lot of the psychedelic stuff on the back burner. You know, it's just been, I'm just so grateful for the positive impact that it's had in my life. Even when, even when things didn't necessarily go my way with psychedelics. And in hindsight, it was all part of the learning experience. And, you know, maybe it's all easy to say now because I'm having a few good months and and maybe things will fall apart for me um, any day now in the future. But, you know, it's just, if it's something that can open up the kind of understanding and awareness that I think that we all have the ability to get to, then uh, I, I think it's I think it's worth taking a chance. So I hope you guys um, take a chance on me and and Michael meditations and consider the experience because uh, it's you know it's pretty fantastic and and I I can't imagine as much as I would love to see you know, stand-up science really make these impacts on local levels and and change, um, you know, the, the way people communicate and converse with one another and, and lead to more interesting conversations. Just having like these small little ripple effects in communities is like a really grandiose kind of dream of mine. And, you know, that's something that's it's fun to think about, but pretty hard to measure. And, and who who knows what little impact I can have? A, a, a worthy goal and and uh, something to strive for and everything. But um, it, but these psychedelic experiences—that's something that like I can see someone at the start of a retreat and someone at the end of the retreat, and they're just like a different person they're just carrying themselves better they just look better they um i mean it's uh it's amazing and i i don't want to i don't want to promise too much and that you know that would it, it will you, you know you know i'm sure something will go wrong for somebody at some point eventually that's just a a numbers game that that's going to happen and um I, and i would hate that i'm the one that encouraged you to go and then it was the uh, you're the one person who just had this deeply un- unsettling experience from which you just never fully recover or, or whatever or or you regret having. I imagine that'll happen uh, one day, but at the end of the day, if you're sitting there listening to this podcast in your car, <laughs> you are putting yourself at such a greater risk I mean, it 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 is it, it it is shocking 
the amount of danger that we put ourselves in just commuting to work every day. That is probably the single greatest threat that we all, and, and you're hardly paying attention behind the wheel. Yeah, you got the cruise on. You, you, don't, you don't even think about it. You do it every day, multiple times a day. And compared to a single drive, uh, of your car, I think I think micro meditations um, is is much safer than that. So um, you know, just like any clinical setting, just like any um, any retreat, any any ceremony, any the top shaman person in the world, you can have the Dalai Lama himself. Uh, you, you know, uh, sit down with you and guide you through things and. You know, you might you might unlock something in in your head that uh, forever changes you in a not very adaptive uh, way that you that you regret. Uh, bad things can happen in life. So um, so you know, it's not risk free, but I I think that there's tons and tons of potential there. So um, this is longer than I thought I'd be talking about it. Um, so I, I I hope you found it. Uh, found it interesting i got some emails from you guys saying that you liked my uh my my little spiels at the end of shows again totally not necessary i'm I'm putting them at the end of episodes so they're just bonus content for you guys if you want a little bit of what what i kind of sit around thinking about and and if you don't that's totally understandable as well but uh it was really really encouraging and and super nice that some of you wrote in and and liked what i what I had to say last week, maybe too encouraging, because now I did even more this week. Um, and and uh, I, I'm sure if you had negative feedback, maybe you're just being nice and keeping it to yourself. These are the things that I think about constantly. If you want to know what it's like to put yourself out there and be in the public eye, you're always, at least I am, I'm always just considering um, the the downside of things and and the negative view people could have of all of this <laughs> so so that's healthy um but i think this is cool i i like getting to share a little more and it's scary for me to put myself out there a little more and be a little more personal and without expectations you know when my guests are there i'm asking them about their work when i'm a guest on other podcasts you know maybe i'm, I'm trying to say the most interesting things and and, and be funnier and uh, you know make the funniest points and blah 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 and and you know shorten my answers so that I'm not monopolizing the conversation and so it's uh it's nice to have yet another outlet for expressing myself in um in new ways I, I've been I've been thinking a lot about how how, how the many different aspects of who we are um, want to be kind of heard by us and expressed. Because, uh, you know, we have so many roles, we have so many attitudes, we have so many emotions. And I think they all kind of want a platform. And uh, I think that's one of the cool uh, things with... Um, for, for all the downsides with, with uh, things going 
digital in terms of podcasts and social media and everything else is that it is is giving people multiple ways um, to express themselves. So thank you guys for uh, for listening to me express myself. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. Network.